You're listening to Find the Good News, Episode 25, The Secret Sauce, featuring John O'Donnell. This episode of Find the Good News is sponsored by Parker Brand Creative Services, a branding agency that thinks sideways, pushes forward, and gets your brand up. Check out our work at parkerbrandup.com. Would you like to help make sure I'm asking my guests the really good questions? Just visit findthegood.news and click the questions tab. I'll see if I can get your question dropped in the fishbowl. Each episode, my guests will dive deep, select three random questions, and if yours is selected, I'll ask it on the show. That's findthegood.news. When I started Find the Good News, I couldn't have predicted the effect it would have on me. Each and every guest has left an impact. This is the absolute truth. I think about each one of them in some small way each day. John O'Donnell, the man I visit with in episode 25, doesn't break that stride. In fact, John's eagerness to serve and willingness to lead has only motivated me to continue seeking out good people in this community and beyond, bringing their personal stories to you. Whether it's impacting our region through his day-to-day job as director of the Southwest Louisiana Area Health Education Center, or the myriad of ways he puts his passions to work in our communities on a grassroots level, John is motivating people to be more active, to live healthier lives, and to get involved in small ways that make a big difference. John is knowledgeable about what he's talking about, and he has to be. When you're making changes, you're often making waves, and those who rock the boat should be able to back up their reason for doing it. What I loved about John is that he doesn't beat around the bush when it comes to making changes, things that need to happen right now. And he presents these issues, as well as the possible solutions, in an infectious way that makes you want to start making them right away. My perception is that with each venture into good works, John O'Donnell is consciously learning, taking note of what worked and what didn't, and then adjusting his thinking and tactics to ensure that the next go-round is more successful. He's working a long plan that will enhance the quality of life in Southwest Louisiana on many dimensions, but at the same time, he's making sure there are small and visible victories along the way to help us all stay motivated to keep working toward a broader vision. He'll make you think twice about what you're cooking and eating, where you're shopping, the businesses you support, the laws you're voting for, the way we're planning and building, as well as the way we're all getting around from place to place. It's good news for all of us when there are people like John O'Donnell in the community. Not only are they good people, but they're stepping into leadership roles and teaching the next generation of leaders by their example. Wake up, it's morning. You're dreaming up a story I can hear. The way it's going, cause you're laughing in your sleep. On the path to your deliverance and a holy wall of light. Old news, bad news, fake news. Sometimes you just want to shut it all down and get no news at all. With Find the Good News, I aim to change that by focusing on good people doing good work. I visit with artists, educators, civic and spiritual leaders, musicians, business owners, students, volunteers, and everyday citizens who are using their creativity, resources, and talents to bring hope and happiness to their corner of the world. In each episode, I dig into the hearts and minds of my extraordinary guests. We have street-level conversations about relatable things going on in their lives, discover the critical life experiences that shape them, the perspectives that drive them, and the fundamental beliefs 
that are anchoring them to a path of goodness. There's a lot of news in the world. My name is Oren Parker, and I'm going to find the good. online you know everybody who comes on here i wouldn't say everybody i know i just kind of know of mm-hmm. and uh the whole show's kind of been built around recommendations awesome you know from one person to the other which is really kind of cool that's what i was hoping yeah. would happen because i mean i've got sort of my own little blast zone of people that i have that right. my my orbit but what i think is beautiful is when you just start seeing everybody connecting and what's really cool about this show is uh everybody who's come on has given me just this pile of names but it's neat how the same names keep coming up from different people that i wouldn't think that's cool are connected you know yeah i love that yeah and so for you what happened was my buddy dan and i dan smith yeah 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 okay i love dan smith yeah he loves you too (laughs) oh that's awesome (laughs) Good to know. He and I started going on these sort of like Sunday. Every other week, we'd go get together on Sunday. We're old, old friends from way, way back. I oh, mean, cool. I, I met Dan when I was like 12 years old. Oh, wow. So we had, we've, during high school, he was as close to me as a brother as I'm ever going to have, you know? Oh, that's awesome. So, yeah. Dan's was, like that too. Like Dan's family, like real fast. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's an intense guy he and uh, in a good way for me. I mean, I, I love him. I, uh, my newer friends, I guess, in my life feel like they know him because I've just talked about him so much. I guess because yeah. he was around for so many formative years, you know, right, all that right. high school time, you know, it was just close, close. Yeah. But um, we were visiting and I was telling him I was kicking around this idea of this show, you know, I said, mm-hmm. I think I, I, one, need something like that in my life. Yeah. And I think locally it wouldn't hurt for us to have something like yeah. that out there, too. And so we were kind of milling around about it in our conversation. And I hadn't even cut the first episode, and he texted me, and he goes, hey, I know who you need to talk to, my buddy John O'Donnell. <laughs> and I was like, well, I don't know him. And so I, I went online, and I was like, okay. I, I mean, I saw your pictures, but I didn't know anything about you. you yeah. know? And I, I probably still don't, so that's what I'm going to find yeah, out we'll today. Yeah, we'll find out today. Yeah. yeah. So this is what I wrote down, and I just don't even know where to start with you, man. Yeah, neither do I sometimes. <laughs> I don't know, because you know, this was what I asked Dan. I said... So what does he do? And that's kind of the All question of most people, yeah. yeah. It's like, so what do you do? Yeah. And when I started kind of doing my own little investigation, I'm like, oh my gosh, man. He's involved in everything. so many aspects yeah. of everything. Yeah. I mean, the one thing I'm just going to jump right into, because mm-hmm. it was the first uh, conversation that I kind of chimed in on was uh, litter. You you made a post about those yeah. overflowing trash cans in Lake Charles the other day, and I was like, you know, this is an old old problem. Yeah, and so just from that one post, I get the sense that you kind of have a particular way of looking at society. Yeah, and and you, so you can see these things, and you go like, hey, these are things we need to pay attention to. How yeah. can we solve this? Yeah, well, I've I've got this like incredible. I've always have this had this incredible passion for service. And, and also for our community and serving our community. And so anything and everything that that involves helping out or just pitching in, like, I'm there. Yeah. And 
I've, you know, through that process, I've kind of identified things that I'm more passionate about and things that really matter, things that are kind of those silver bullets. That yeah. If we fix those things, then, you know, it's just a waterfall of good things that happen after Yeah, that. right, right. And, and litter prevention is one of those things. You know, it's a lot of people think of litter as just unsightly, but it's also a drainage issue. It's yeah. also, you know, I'm, I'm very passionate about the ecology of our area. And it's a, I mean, it's an issue for our waterways. I mean, we've got so much trash in our waterways. Sure. Poisoning our fish and birds. And I mean, it's, it's disgusting. It's, I mean, it's it's not like anything I've seen elsewhere in the country. It's it's more akin to what I see when we do, when we visit like the third world. Interesting that you said that. I had a guest on here last night, and we were talking after the show, mm-hmm. and um, I brought up a story that a local gentleman shared with me who curates a museum, and Tom. he said, "Tom, yeah. yeah, I have a meeting with Tom this afternoon. Oh, great! Well, yeah. Tom's one of my favorite people. I love him, man. And he he shared a story about, and I can't really can't remember where, and I, he's got to forgive me for butchering telling this, but mm. what I was told by him was that he you know gets a lot of visitors from other countries yeah. who comes through and in, in the museum and some people had stopped by and they had been around seeing the area and people told them they should go by the museum mm-hmm. and the thing that she was most surprised by was the amount of she said the amount of poor that we had in our area mm-hmm. and tom said he was kind of that was quizzical for him he was like i don't know what you're talking about yeah. and she was like well there's just a lot of poor you know you can see the poor yeah and what she ultimately meant was it looks to her mm-hmm. like everyone's poor because we don't take care of right. our streets. We're not taking care of the litter and yeah. the trash. Well, and she's also, from an economic standpoint, she's not wrong. And, you know, I, I talked a minute ago about those silver bullets. Mm. Poverty is one of those things. We are the poorest state in the nation. 18% of all people in Louisiana, 18% are on food stamps. Wow. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we have more in common with Honduras than we do with Delaware. That's incredible. Yeah. And so, I mean, like when, whenever people visit from other countries, I mean, they're, they're literally seeing poverty. And I think you're right. I think that's apparent in our road conditions and in the litter and and just in our development practices. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, living in sulfur and, you know, again, I don't know a lot about the inner workings of the city, but Mm -hmm. living in sulfur, uh, I would say like the Grove, for instance, that little area right there where Tom's at and that corner is sort of a nice spot. Right. But uh, for many, many years, I mean, at least the last decade, I've always said there's a moat between the interstate and that nice spot right because to get off there's no curb appeal where right. it's not clean the roads are in complete disrepair you right. wouldn't know that there was a reason to get off you yeah. get the reason you just keep driving exactly you know so that's some stuff that for me just aesthetically mm-hmm. uh I, I get why people maybe don't pull off they're like yeah. hey let's go on to the next area right. something that looks uh looks safer right and you know we put at and we'll get into this i'm sure in a little bit about my what i do yeah. for my day job yeah yeah we put a lot of emphasis on on designing walkable communities and walkable communities are also like what you're talking about they're aesthetic they look good yeah and that has that has this ripple effect that's incredible when people come and visit those towns they spend money which is a sales tax that then can fix the roads sure you know they come in and they're they're exercising which has a chronic disease uh, impact whenever you walk more you have less heart disease less cancer which has a tremendous economic impact on the healthcare costs of the area i mean it's yeah it's it really is another one of those silver bullets just designing aesthetic walkable communities can solve so many problems it's interesting man walking's yeah. a big issue for me because i actually got hit by a car right uh three years ago yeah and it was because i was getting up every morning i loved going mm-hmm. on a sunrise walk we live out in carlos mm-hmm. now granted i mean it's out in the country so i you know i had this sort of um I guess false sense of security that it was safe out yeah. there, you know, and I'm just on my one of my morning walks in the morning and 
wham man you know and i was walking on the side of the road which i mean i see people do all the time but i tell you now i go walk every morning when i get to work there's just a sidewalk here in town mm-hmm. right here and uh i'll go for like a 20 minute walk now when i hear just that sound of a vehicle i'm oh, like yeah. this is just not conducive this you is get that really... anxiety and oh yeah anxiety. man yeah and when we were in Colorado a couple of years ago, uh, we were on a dog sled ride, and I was talking to the guy who ran the, the little dog sled operation. Mm-hmm. And I said, so what's the real industry up here? Mm-hmm. Because down here, you hear, what's the industry all the time? And sure. he, said, he looked at me with this puzzled look. Mm-hmm. He was like, what do you mean, the industry? I said, well, like, what is it that people are thriving on up here? Mm-hmm. And he looked at me, and he kind of got the smile on his face, and he, he turned around, looked 360 degrees, and he said, well, this is this is the industry, yep. the, the environment, the where you're at. Mm-hmm. We we really care about that a lot up here because, uh, you know, this is how we all live. We want to yeah. live here. We want it to be clean. We want you to have that experience. He said, we don't, that that is the industry. And I was like, wow, that's a totally mm-hmm. 180 view of back home. Mm-hmm. And we have those resources. You know, I mean, we're, yeah. we're the sportsman's paradise for a reason. We have these incredible ecological resources. And one of my pipe dreams is to create, uh, you know, diversify our economy by creating what I'm calling a, a cultural economy, which is, you know, arts, music, and a big emphasis on the outdoors and selling the outdoors as a community asset that we have to get people to come visit us and spend money. Yeah. My son asked me that the other day. He said, so is our state the sportsman's paradise or is our area the sportsman's paradise? I said, well... You know, that, that slogan is very good, and we deal in, yeah. do work in tourism a lot, too. Sure. And so that is a part of it, is uh, trying to sell the outdoors. Yeah. But I don't know if it's, I guess from our perspective in marketing, mm-hmm. I don't know that it's ever sold properly. Yeah. You know, it's sold as, I hate to say it, man, I'm just going to be blunt. Come in here, enjoy it, take a dump, and then leave. Yep. It's kind of the attitude that I yeah. have felt for years, you know. Well, I was in Hammond this week for work uh, and just, you know, talking with some people at the, I went and had dinner and sat at the bar because I was dining alone, just talking to people from Hammond, which yeah. was fascinating. Hammond is a great, a really cool town and I love the people there. Um, and we had a really, a really real conversation about what, are we still the sportsman's paradise? Mm. You know, is that, is that an outdated slogan? Because yeah. You know, before when they when they came up with that, like we did have a big hunting and fishing industry. We did put a lot of emphasis on on our our ecological resources, and now like we we don't. Yeah, you know, I wonder about that too because I remember as a kid yeah. hearing that. I mean, I've, I've never been um, a big hunter, yeah, but I've always enjoyed the outdoors. I love yeah. hiking and camping, and you know. I kind of realized it the other day. My family and I, we were. Uh, it was Sunday, and the weather was just beautiful. It was last weekend, actually. Mm-hmm. And we sat around for like two hours scratching our heads. Right. Like, what do we, we, we want to, we want to get out and just enjoy this. Yeah. So what do we, what do we need to do? Yeah. So we decided to drive the Creole Nature Trail, you know, and then just go sit at the Gulf Coast. But I was like, you know, really, is a, I don't know, in our minds, we felt like it's a short list, mm-hmm. you know, of actually accessible things that don't mm-hmm. require a lot of effort to get to. Right. Um, where you can really just enjoy the environment. Yeah. I don't know. That was just our perception. So I think this is a good transition to start talking about like what my job is. Yeah, right on. Okay. Yeah. So I am the, the director of the community health department at a, non, a nonprofit public health foundation called Swalahek or the Southwest Louisiana Area Health Education Center, which okay. is a huge mouthful, I know. Nah. <laughs> uh, but uh, so my job in the community health department is my staff and I uh, prevent chronic disease, uh, okay. heart disease, high blood pressure, stroke, cancer. Those are all chronic diseases. And what we found is that they're 
largely caused by the environment in which people live. So people are obese, not because they are lazy or because you know they, they want to eat fast food, but because fast food is what's available and they don't have the resources like you were mentioning to just walk safely outside. They, yeah, know, right. they know they need exercise. They know they need to walk and walk to school or walk to the store. The city or the community that they live in is not designed that way. Right. So what we do is we provide uh, technical assistance, resources, grant opportunities to communities to help them coalition build, get partners to the table, and then ultimately develop them themselves into communities that don't give people disease. Okay. Right. So walkable communities, communities that have easy access to healthy fruits and vegetables. And like we were just talking about, easy access to the outdoors and green space is like one of the biggest things that we can do to prevent all these diseases. So then if that is what y'all do, mm-hmm. you have some challenges in Southwest we're the, Louisiana. We're the worst of the worst. So this is the front line of the front line. Uh, yeah. I mean, Louisiana has the worst health outcomes of any state in the nation. We've got the highest rates of obesity, the highest rates of heart disease. Heart disease kills more Louisianians than anything else ever. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, we're 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 on the front lines of and we're you know, we're understaffed, we're underpaid. Like we don't have the resources that we need to be fighting the biggest fight. Um, but we're doing it in a way well, I like to, I like to tell the, my staff and my, you know, the people that I, I pitch my job to, uh, that we're fighting a gorilla, a gorilla war against sure. disease. Gotcha. Right. So we are f- doing these incredibly innovative tactics. we we're building coalitions throughout the state. We work a lot with, uh, Louisiana cancer prevention. Okay. One of my main roles is I'm also the network manager for all of the, the Louisiana healthy communities coalitions throughout the state. Okay. So we're building these diverse co- coalitions in each region of the state. There are nine public health regions and we're trying to bring partners to the table that are outside of the healthcare realm. So like people that have a stake in what we're trying to do, like quality of life, economic alliances, uh, as well as those healthcare partners to the table, pool their resources, public and private, to try and to try and get this done. Gotcha. It's a very, it's an out of the box concept when we're talking about public health and fighting disease. And if we can pull it off and we can prove that it works here, then it's something that we can apply everywhere. Because gotcha. you know, in Louisiana, we're we're kind of the canary in the coal mine. You know, we're it, 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 we're sick. We're poor, and we're on the front line of of a changing climate and a rising ocean. And these are problems that the entire country is going to start looking at in twenty to twenty five years. So right. If we can find solutions to those now here, where we're already having the problems, then we can have a real shot at changing things nationally. Yeah. So you said something that I think is interesting. You used the word guerrilla war, and yeah. I, I want to hear. I mean, as much as you can share with me, because I think maybe there might be a lot of people that don't even realize the things that y'all have already accomplished. Oh yeah. So yeah. like, give me like some examples of things that you've done in the guerrilla right. war. Like how? What have you? So we know that it, we we tried to stray away from programmatic efforts. We were very focused on programming before uh, before we started thinking about this in a different way, which it was like, okay, let's start a walking group or let's start a group that gets women, you know, exercising. We pay for personal trainers for them. And we realized we were spending a tremendous amount of resources and money to help 20 people at a time. Yeah. So we started to think about what can we do that's going to impact thousands of people in one stroke with the little resources that we have. Okay. Right. Like a guerrilla war. Yeah. And we hit on policy systems and environmental change. Okay. So policy, uh, we like one of the big wins that we've had was recently in Lake Charles and in a bunch of communities throughout the state where uh, it's called complete streets and okay. a complete streets policy changes the way that a city or a municipality it can be. The state also has a complete streets policy. Now uh, we're working in several parishes. Um, 
they have to consider all modes of transportation in every transportation infrastructure redesign that they do. Okay. So say they're going to, what, what's the name of the street out here? Is this, uh, Maplewood. Okay. So say they're going to restripe or re-redeck Maplewood. Okay. When they do that, they have to consider, they don't have to include, but they have to consider bicycle and pedestrian uh, transportation, public transportation, as well as cars and freight. Gotcha. And that's had tremendous impact. And we've got bike lanes in Lake Charles right. now. There are all these bike paths in Baton Rouge now after they pass theirs. New Orleans looks like a completely different city. I see. Okay. Uh, with all their bike and ped. And as a result, obesity rates are dropping. Gotcha. Very quickly. Because yeah. people, it's now safer to ride your bike to school or to walk to work. Yeah. Uh, and that, I mean, that changes. It's not just an immediate impact. It's something that the city then has to to think about every time they do any transportation infrastructure redesign. Yeah. Um, and that that's gonna that has lasting, long-lasting impacts. So how are y'all involved in making that happen? I mean, what yeah, is... Yeah, so, uh, you know, what a lot of people don't, a lot of policymakers and elected officials are unfamiliar with what that policy is, how Yeah, I've works. never heard of it. Yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. And so what we do is we provide the, the technical assistance to explain to them what it is. Then we tell them, you know, why it's, why they need it and convince them that they need it. We, we use our, our coalition strength, all those the diverse partners to, to advocate to these policymakers and elected officials and say, this is something that we want. And then we provide the technical assistance to show them, okay, this is how, this is how you would pass this policy. This is how you would incorporate it into your code of ordinances. Because a lot of times, you know, you can pass a policy, put it on the books, but unless you're integrating it into the existing code of ordinances, it doesn't mean anything. I gotcha. So okay. we, we help them and walk them through that process. So y'all have a lot of research to do and oh, yeah. You have to know a lot of things in a lot of different categories. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm actually blown away by just that alone. That's just one of the one of the like that's a, that's a tiny fraction of the policy stuff. That so what's doing. another one that we can because see that one I can yeah. see that one the public can hear and go, oh, I've seen those bike lanes. Yeah. I didn't realize that that comes from that. Yeah, exactly. And they may just go, hey, we have bike lanes. Hey, bike now. lanes are great. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. You don't really think about all the right. work that went into making that happen, which is fine. Like, you know, sure. if you want to look at a bike lane and not have any idea how it got there. Great. Like, I just want you on the bike lane. Lane, yeah, you know? right. And I want you noticing that they're there because a lot of the people, like I see a lot of, they're, it's a new concept, you know, sure. and we want to get people to not drive in the bike lanes right? and increasing right. their awareness of, you know, this is what a bike lane is. This is how it works. And this is why you shouldn't drive in it. Yeah. So, how does that work? I mean, do y'all have the, in your awareness arm? I mean, is mm -hmm. there an education factor that you'll have where you're definitely teaching people like, Hey, we have bike lanes now and here's how the people use them. Absolutely. Uh, it's definitely like. It's probably the weakest, I'm gonna be real with you, but it's probably the weakest arm that we have because we, everything that we do is data-driven, right? So we look at the data and we try to figure out what are the, the interventions that we can do that are gonna make the biggest impact. Gotcha. And we know that education is, is low on that list. Gotcha. Typically, when you create an environmental change, like you, you put in a bike lane, you change the built environment. Mm-hmm people educate themselves. Yeah. They figure it out pretty quick. Yeah. Uh, and so that's what we kind of count on that, but we do a lot of social media stuff. We work with, uh, partners like bike law, Louisiana, uh, the quality of life uh, of Southwest Louisiana to create, you know, awareness campaigns, flyers, social media campaigns. We do a lot of media like I'm doing this now. Yeah. We're, we're on KPLC a lot, just trying to educate, sure. not just motorists about how to, how to not drive in the bike lane, but also cyclists. To, like this is how this is how you should ride on the road safely. You know, ride yeah. ride with traffic. You're a part of traffic. Ride with, walk against. 
you know, all that stuff. Yeah. So all that makes a lot of sense. I mean, we were just having that conversation here this morning that really change is just generational. And sometimes we don't live to see it. Yeah. The real, you know, lasting change that just really gets integrated. But And and that's probably going to be that way with a lot of what y'all are doing. You're going to see it, the the real result 20 years from now. Yeah. And we we accept that. You know, we we understand that a lot of what we're doing is going to be generational change and societal change is hard. And sure. But on the other hand, like we don't have a lot, we don't have a generation of time left for a lot of these problems you know like we have to solve them now and we have to come up with with fast solutions so and that's that's a question of resources Uh, sure and and we're working on it i mean we're doing we're doing good stuff yeah i mean you have to show people that it's worth doing Mm -hmm. i mean i i I think about that quite a bit my wife and i were talking about just single-use plastic Uh, yeah it's a big issue yeah and you know, I was even reading an article today about contact lenses. I mm-hmm. was like, incredible. I had no clue. Yeah. You just take them out. They get, you know, old to throw them away. And you don't think about where it's going. Right. I mean, single use everything. Oh, Think man. about how many times you unwrap an item of food. and then We experimented the other night. We mm-hmm. went to the store and I said, okay, let's see what happens. Yeah. And uh, so we, we've gotten pretty good about bringing our own bags. So right. we've kind of solved, well, sort of solved if you have them with you and if right. it's convenient. And most of the time we have them. But. So I said, I'm going to try to shop uh, using containers that are either biodegradable or don't have single use, right? Yeah. Plastic wrappers and things. Very difficult at yeah. a standard grocery store, oh, like, yeah. like a Kroger or something. Yeah. And so I got home and I started going through everything. I was like, okay, I think maybe maybe 20 to possibly 30% of what I bought right. was... Uh, you know, compostable yeah. possibly, yeah. but the rest of it had some, even if the container was like a cardboard or chipboard, right. the, uh, there was still like the little foil tops right. and little tiny wrappers that you don't even think about the inside of right. a box. And then the question becomes, you know, even if you could recycle that, do we have the resources locally right. to do it? And we don't. I've told this story before, yeah. uh, on this show and I'm gonna tell it to you. I, I, I think it's a funny story. One of my mm. friends loves it, but when I was, probably 20, 22 years old. Mm-hmm. I lived here on Maplewood Drive down at the end and you know where Pete Menina Road is, they yeah. kind of back cut back to 210. That was sort of no man's land back there. Okay. And so there wasn't a lot of traffic. Right. Uh, it was almost like the secret way to get to Lake Charles. Okay. So I would go walk there in the mornings and uh, one morning when I was walking there, I just started to look around and I saw all these like bottles and cans. Mm-hmm. It was just garbage. People were, because it was hidden, people were just sure. throwing trash back there. Couches, refrigerators. And so I thought, you know, I think maybe if I, if I really work hard, I can clean this up. Mm-hmm. And so I'd drive my car over there every morning and I would just with that shovel gloves and I'd yeah. dig up all the glass bottles. And man, there were like old glass bottles going back people to the 60s. People have been 60s. jumping out there for oh, a long yeah. time, yeah. I, I got home after a week of doing this, and I had just my whole driveway full of glass. Oh, but I mean, I'm this young guy. I'm yeah. thinking, I'm making a difference. Maybe my neighbors will see. Somebody will volunteer to help. I had this idea that yeah. if somebody sees it, they'll want to pitch in. So right. I clean all these bottles out, and Sulphur had a recycling program at that time. Oh, okay. And so I uh, had got the information. And I set all those bottles out in my front yard. I was like, well, it's that day. Yeah. They pick up glass, and I had them on, like, you know, bins and stuff. Right. So I'm sitting out on my front porch, patting myself on the back, man. I have my coffee and I hear the truck coming. I'm like, this is going to feel so good to have done this, you know, small, but right. Uh, So I'm sitting there and the guy comes around the corner with the big truck and he waves at me and he smiles and uh, he takes my bins and he dumps the bottles out and he throws the bins in the truck and drives off. (laughs) And I went and asked him, I see him doing it all down the street. And I I said, Oh God, it's my neighbor said, what's going on? He said, Oh, the, uh, 
they're canceled the recycling program in town. Yeah. And so I had all these glass bottles. Yeah. I mean, dude, yeah. a lot. Yeah. And I was kind of this weird, almost ironic moment where I was like, I have nowhere to take these. Right. So what am I going to do with them? Right. I mean, it was a lot. Yeah. And I had to throw them away. Yeah. So it was like that moment for me was really right. crushing. Right. <laughs> I was like, it, it just jabbed in my head that we don't have a system in place for this. Yeah. And that's why, you know, we mentioned litter at the beginning of the show. And that's not something that I, I work on professionally, but it's something that I'm very passionate about. Yeah. Um, and I think that for a long time, we've put this emphasis on this idea in, in everybody's head that we have so much litter because we've got lazy people that throw stuff out of the windows of the car. Yeah. Well, in researching the problem and looking at best practices of communities that are successfully combating litter and, and, and cause I do a lot of this research because I, sure. I have no hobbies and I'm a dork. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> um, what, you know, like, like we were talking about with the, the walkable communities, it's an environmental change. It's not that people are throwing things out of the window. It's that the dumpster policies or the policies about how many trash cans you have to have, or, you know, how you enclose your trash mm -hmm. cans at a business or a municipality are poorly enforced, poorly written and, and, or just don't exist. Yeah. You know, so a lot of the stuff is like the, a lot of the trash is coming out of the, the dump trucks. I talked sure. to, I talked to some guys at state DOTD who were trying to tell me how much taxpayer money they spend at DOTD just to clean up litter that is coming out of dump trucks. I believe it. And, you know, even dumpsters, the wind blows and you don't have your dumpster secured properly sure. and the trash gets blown out of there. Or if you don't have your dumpster secured in a fence and someone's going through your dumpster and they're pulling out, you know, because we, we have seen a rise in homelessness lately. Yeah. There are a lot of people that are digging through dumpsters and they're just throwing the stuff out. Sure. And then the wind picks up. Survival mode. I mean, right. Yeah. And that's, that's the last thing on their mind is right. picking up what they've tore up. Right. Yeah. So if we can create a, if we can solve that through policy and just create, you know, spend some of this money that we're spending on education, because like I mentioned, from a data-driven perspective, education does very little, and spend that on environmental and policy change, then we can really put a dent in this litter problem. Yeah, you said something in that post uh, that I thought was very, uh, very powerful, and it was mm -hmm. maybe missed by some, I don't know, but you yeah. said, you know, we're spending money on media buys and things mm -hmm. like that, and I, I'll tell you, that does really jabbed me, not in a bad way, but yeah. in a good way, because many, many years ago, mm -hmm. maybe 12 years ago, I worked for one of the companies that was producing the media yeah. for the Calcasieu Parish litter campaign. Right. And so in doing that, we had to kind of drive around and find litter yeah. to shoot yeah. and come up with a way to make this catchy and all that kind right. of stuff, the fun, the fun litter campaign. You right. Know? But in doing that, I, I was shocked. Yeah. Like, just exactly what you're saying. We ended up going by um, Walmart here in town. Mm -hmm. I'd never really went back in the back mm -hmm. of a Walmart or on the side of a Walmart. And, you know, we had this, uh, the woods kind of right by yeah, there. Yeah, when yeah. we drove back there, blew my mind. Right. And what I guess I discovered from that is that it was almost like years of whatever had fallen out of buggies. Yep. Uh, people, uh, people's stuff like receipts. I mm -hmm. mean, you name it. I mean, anything and everything. Yeah. And what had happened all these years, it had just kind of the wind would roll it across right. the parking lot right. and accumulate back there. And John, it was... Yeah, it's, it's gross. Massive. Yeah. I mean, I was like, you would, you'd need like an army of people to get back here with mini dumpsters just oh, yeah. to pick this up. So it was kind of, it disturbed me. Yeah. And I, I, I did have that feeling as we were working on that. I was like, we're not going to change this with this commercial. Right. This isn't going to, we're going to show people this. Right. 
but it's just not that's not going to do right. it and it's not this i'm I'm not trying to say that we shouldn't be putting out litter prevention no no i get but, right but what i do want to do uh, and this is something that i've i've talked about for for like a year now is we don't currently have a way to grade litter by a geographic area mm. so we need to create a system where we can look at an area geographically figure out how much litter is there and then look at a way to categorize that litter so that we can isolate the source. Yeah. Then we use those media buys to target yeah. where they're actually coming from. Because just saying like, oh, don't throw trash out of the, out That's of the not window. Do tra- it. Right. You've got to target those buys. Yeah. And we've got to target our, our litter prevention and cleanup efforts where it's going to make the most difference. And if we don't know where those are because we don't have a grading system, then how do we know? Yeah. I mean, right? I think about it when I drive home. Sometimes I say, you know, if it wasn't for... Uh, the correctional facilities mm-hmm. having people out cleaning the roads i can't only imagine what it looks like because yeah. i mean you know, there's not any other effort out there that i can see right and uh, i mean those guys are they do a, a tremendous job uh i think the the sheriff's department does a lot of i mean they pick up a lot of trash. oh yeah yeah but it's i mean it's there's so much trash that there's no way that's gonna like that alone in a commercial about throwing Wendy's out of your truck is going to make a difference. No, I mean, and when it rains, you know, it's really revealed. Right, right. I mean, that's that's when you see it. And it rains, that washes into our bayous, then it gets into the, the storm drains, it gets into the pipes, it creates drainage problems, and then ultimately it washes up on our I-10 beach. Yeah. Because that, that, that wind blows, and that's why, that's why I-10 beach collects all that trash and looks so bad. And I'm happy, I know it. You've probably heard me mention filming videos, building websites, creating logos, or building brands on this podcast. Well, there's a good reason for that. I'm a brand builder, and my brand is Parker Brand Creative Services. My team and I have built countless brands in the Gulf Coast region, and a lot of our work in the travel and tourism industry is experienced across the country, and honestly, the whole world. We have our specialties, web, logo, package, and whole brand design, as well as video production and photography. But the reality is we function as a full-service advertising agency to businesses that don't really mesh well with larger advertising agencies or just don't want to have in-house creative departments. But don't listen to what I say. Just go to our website, parkerbrandup.com, and take a look at what we do. We're a show-it-don't-say-it team. Okay, you should definitely say it too, but you know what I mean. That's parkerbrandup.com. We think sideways, we push forward, and we'll get your brand up. So take this, you've earned it, a melody and chorus. Yeah. So we, we talk a lot about lakefront development. Well, we need to work on respecting the lakefront that we have. Sure. You know, and then develop it into so Otherwise, we're just going to build a bunch of nice stuff in, in a dump. Yeah, no, I totally get that. So how do, so how do you change uh People's minds. I mean, because that's a big part of this, right? I mean, changing people's minds and yeah, changing their habits. I yeah. mean, and like so, I said, it, that all stems from environmental change. Yeah, you know. So if we if we create ways to prevent litter from coming out of trash cans and dump trucks, then enforce those policies that prevent that from coming out of there, and just provide people ways to put trash away. Yeah. Right. And, you know, create create more more robust recycling programs, more robust recycling policies, give people an option to to reuse waste. Yeah. That's really going to help. So creating that environment in which people can they don't have to litter or they they can't litter. Mm -hmm. That's how you change people's mind. Do you think some of it is just luxury that maybe creates the apathy about these types of things? Oh, yeah. I mean, like like ultimately, the problem here, you know, isn't isn't policy and all that stuff. It's overconsumption. Sure. Right. And that's that's a luxury. Sure. And as as we see 
the rise in the middle class in the developing world, that overconsumption is going to start happening everywhere. Mm. And that has huge global problems when we're talking about, you know, ocean health. And I mean, it's it because really like the, the overconsumption problem here is, is an economic issue, right? Like we can afford to buy single use plastics. We can afford to buy these things because yeah. we are a developed country. Um, and uh, that's just going to get worse globally unless we figure out how to how to change it here. Yeah, no, I totally agree. So. I uh, I wonder about this because I always I've got this feeling for, and it may just be for myself that mm-hmm. I I have to change it in me first, you mm-hmm. know, because I yeah. I used to have a bad habit of looking out at the world and saying, um, oh, that's bad. Somebody should do something about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had to come back and go, well, maybe that somebody's me. But then the the next layer to that was looking at myself in the mirror and saying, well, actually, yeah, I, I've got all this stuff that's all this is in me. I'm, yeah. I'm the culprit. Right. You know? So how do I change it? I guess my question for you, and this is more about you than maybe who you work for. Sure. At what point does that happen for you? When draw a line for me to John O'Donnell today, like when does this first start becoming like important to you? People, the environment, the community. Yeah. Well, did something happen or was it just like a gradual uh, leaning think, in that direction? You know, it's always been there. Yeah. yeah ever since I was a kid. Okay. Uh, you know, I've, I've always had this passion for service and for, for helping others. And, you know, I've, I've always been involved in service, service organizations and scouts and, and okay. all that. And it so was you were a this, scout? I was a scout. Yeah. Right on, man. Yeah. I was Troop 107 at OQH. Awesome, man. Yeah. We were, we were a lot. We actually just did a, a, a service opportunity at uh, the old Catholic cemetery on Common Street. Yeah, I saw some photos of yeah, that. Yeah, we yeah. cleaned it up for uh, Matt Young made this amazing uh, walking history tour. Uh, yeah, I yeah. didn't get to go, but that's awesome. Oh my God, it was so cool. And I mean, Matt Matt just did such a great job with it. I'm, I'm so proud of him for that. But uh, we cleaned the, the cemetery up for that and the, my old Boy Scout troop came out and I tell you what, they are so much better behaved than we were <laughs> when I was there. That's actually kids. really cool. You know, I, I've always felt that way too, that the Scouts had a really, uh, can really embed a code into yeah. a person yeah there's so many things that are just anchor points to oh, yeah. how you can go out and engage with the world my the godson scouts. is in is very involved in scouts right now and, and I, i've seen the change in him and seen the mindset change of of thinking about himself because you know this younger generation is the me generation right like the like very very focused on like what they can get and all this sure and his involvement in scouts i've seen the mindset change of He's starting to think about his community and he's starting to think about global health and he's starting to think about all these things. And it's so cool to watch that happen as a result of of scouting. I've always been fascinated by that. I mean, I'd say this show even comes out of that. I've always been curious about what makes a person change when uh, and for me, it's always been when I begin to see the other used to use that word. And the other is very important and as important as myself. Yeah. You know, and that for me was a big change because I was able to stop going uh, looking at things when they they when they got to my front door, right? You know, and start looking at them before that point. Yeah. You know, how does this? How, how am I impacting other people in yeah. the world? You know, by my behaviors and my habits. Yeah. So I guess you mentioned a turning point. You yeah. Know, service was always a big part of my life. Scouts, and then I, I spent a lot of time doing mission work in Central and South. Did America. you? I did. Yeah. And then Hurricane Rita happened. Mm. And I realized that a lot of the efforts that I was putting in to help out internationally needed to be here um you know before that i saw myself as as maybe just even moving down to honduras or guatemala yeah, and just staying and, and, in service yeah, and, farm. and staying in service where, where i felt it was needed and then rita happened and i really you know i came i came home and 
and things were so bad. And, yeah. and I noticed a lot of the parallels between the communities that we were working in in Central and South America and what, what we needed here yeah. after that, after that storm. And, uh, so got involved at Magnese, you know, enrolled at Magnese and, uh, got involved in the student government. Uh, that was that, like that first semester after the storm was my first semester where they weren't sure if they were going to open or not. Yeah. I remember and, like, that. Yeah. And they, you know, the, there well, a lot of the classrooms we were in, like didn't have desks. Like we were all just sitting on the floor and like, yeah. so got involved in student government there and, and just started to try to make things better. And ultimately, uh, founded a recycling program. Uh, really? Called, yeah. At Magnese, the first recycling program at Magnese. And we, we would recycle everything at campus and then take it over to team green. Yeah. And, uh, within a year we were the largest student organization on campus and we recycled more. We won this. It's like the Super Bowl of campus recycling called Recycle Mania. Uh-huh. We recycled more than any other campus, any other college campus in the country. Really? Second, right here in second, South Louisiana. Second place was the United States Coast Guard Academy. That's incredible, man. Yeah. No, I didn't, and I never heard that. I'm yeah. sure there was some publicity, but I never heard about it's, it. It's something that like it haunts me to this day because when I left McNeese, it kind of died. And really? I, and I didn't build in that sustainability into the program that that should have been there and uh and I, I put a lot of that on myself and it's something that i put in my my resolutions for 2019 is to kind of go and identify some leadership in magnese and empower them and try to help them sure. with whatever resources they need to get that back up and running so we can start talking about some environmental responsibility. that's interesting man that happens with so many things uh any yeah. any good program i've seen it in my lifetime where mm-hmm. things you you have a, a dynamic person with a vision that comes in and then you know there's a lot of activity and mm-hmm. you think hey this is good and it's going to stick around and yeah. then with once that transition takes place yeah there's no yeah um that was a big lesson for me i mean it, and it was it i was depressed about it for a long time um but i think i'm better as a leader for it because now when i like like we'll use lake area runners for an example yeah i, I took over i was the president of, of lake area runners which is a 40 year old nonprofit in lake charles i mean just a very storied and and huge part of the the city um but it had fallen into decline uh there were you know the, the board at dan was actually like one of the few remaining board members dan smith yeah uh and he called me up i was not on the board at the time but he called me up uh him he and charles mackinon and asked if i wanted to go have a margarita at cancun yeah and they, they tricked me into becoming president at lake area <laughs> runners and so we we built the brand back up built the club back up and then i i realized like this is not a sustainable thing for me like i cannot keep putting in the amount of work that i need to to this and and still live my life and so what we did is we recruited the stellar just amazing board of of leaders and empowering those leaders and and trying to create that sustainability into the thing and i was able to step away and hand it over we've got just the most amazing president now is so much better than i ever was Teresa, Teresa ernst okay yeah and she is just a powerhouse I mean, is is doing so many great things for the community through the sport of running. Yeah, it seems like runners. it's thriving. I mean, the oh, running awesome. culture yeah. in Lake Lake Charles and just Southwest Louisiana in general has oh, changed. Yeah. It's, I mean, yeah, it's it's changed for sure, and that's that's a direct result of Teresa's leadership and that that awesome board. And that's my my big accomplishment at Lake Area Runners was building that team and, and trying to get them, you know, recruited and, and empowered. And and that's that came from that lesson from Magnese of like, we've got to build sustainability into the good things that we want to keep going. You know, you, you said something, I'm going to jump back mm-hmm. and I want to, if you'll talk about it a little bit, um, you said you did mission work, you know, yeah. and foreign mission work. Yeah. I don't know, just in listening to everything that you've said so far, that almost seems like that possibly was a, the big, that was maybe where a big, big, a big driver comes from for you. Yeah. You know, you came home, you, you brought all that home with you. Right. 
I've heard soldiers say this quite often too, who come back into the world, sure. right? Yeah. Once they've seen what they've seen, they look at this totally different. Yeah. Coming it, back. It changes you. Yeah. It changes you. You go, okay, I've seen another side of life. Yeah. I've seen how other people live. I've seen problems that uh, we may face eventually or are already facing that right. we're not tackling right. or we're pretending aren't there. Right. And so it's almost like a new set of glasses. Yeah. Do you feel like that was kind of what no, happened? I think I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head there too when you said like the, the problems that we pretend aren't happening. Right. All, right. The, all these problems in, in Honduras and in Guatemala and Haiti, they're here. We just kind of sweep them under the rug. Yeah. You know, and uh, that's that they don't i mean it's it's on the surface you can see it and 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 going down there and seeing that and saying you know and then coming back and you know just going back and forth you you kind of take the blinders off when you get yeah, home you I know get and you, you recognize that there's a lot of stuff here that is that has a similar similar feel yeah especially in louisiana yeah so i i, I get you i've always had yeah. that kind of feeling uh and sometimes you you said depression i mean i've really depressed myself with going too far in that direction yeah. because uh, you can look around and just almost see all nothing but the problems. Really, yeah. just that's all it looks like. Yeah. And uh, that does happen to me still. I mean, oh, yeah. I have to, I struggle with it. I mean, yeah. uh, especially when I see it and I get that sense that probably a lot of people do that, well, what can I do? Yeah. You know, what can I do? So they, they look at out into the world and they see leaders like you mm. doing something and they just don't know where to start. Like, yeah. what should I do? Right. You know, and for me, it's always been just finding one little thing yeah. to begin with. Find the good news. Yeah, yeah. something. I mean, like, there's got to be something I can yeah. change, um, whether it's just shopping differently yeah. or taking a walk. Yeah. Just, if you don't do anything, right? that, that for me, just leaves me in the hole. I have the same problem. You know, I, I, I'm very critical of myself, and that's, that's something that I probably should work on. I'm very hard on myself. Uh, I expect a lot of me. And I, as a result, I overextend myself and get involved in a lot of Problem, problem solving sure. in the community. I mean, I've, and I have that same problem where I'm involved in so much and everything is so bad that you just, you get so bogged down and you're just sure. like, how do you, where do you, what do you, what do we do? Sure. You know? And, and the way that I found to, to combat that and to kind of, to kind of solve that depression is just focus on the work. Yeah. Okay. Focus on what's in front of you. Yeah. You know, pick one, like you just said, pick one small task, focus on that. When you finish that, pick another yeah. one, solve one problem at a time. Yeah, you know, and I, instead of getting overwhelmed, because a lot of this it's so oh. multifaceted, you know, it's uh, the, the problems are just so so ridiculous. But if you just solve one problem at a time, that's how you move forward and just grind it out. Yeah, I've I've discovered that in a whole other way is with another type of poverty mm-hmm. is really the poverty of just listening to people. Oh yeah, and um, that's one of the things I guess for me that I've been able to do because it's something I can do. Yeah, you know, it isn't huge, but it's huge collectively. Yeah, but it, it's huge to whoever's in front of you. And um, I was guilty of seeing the problems or if somebody came to me with um, a strife and they were hurting or something sure. and and I would go yeah I want to hear what you have to say and try to show them some tenderness or kindness mm-hmm. uh, then they start cracking that open and you realize this is like huge mm-hmm. just within this one person there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of really big problems right and i can't do anything about it so i right. for a while what would happen is i when i begin to sense that i would go uh yeah i can't go i can't go here because yeah. it's too much right 
because I would think once I get in here, just like you said, I, I'm going to want to help them with this yep. and then this and this, and then you become yeah. your own life disappears in the process yeah. and the people that you have to take care of right. suffer. So it was a weird place yeah. I was in for a while. And it just reminds me of what you just described where, cause see what I've seen in our community mm -hmm. a lot is someone like you and other people like mm -hmm. you, they go, hey, you're dynamic, you're involved, you're educated, you're connected, you and, you're, and you're willing. Right. So people are going to reach out to you constantly right. because we, what to me that does just illustrates that we do need more people yeah. stepping into those roles. Just and like think, with the Lake Area Runners, right. you, know, you need and more I, people. I think that's something that definitely is, it defines my style of leadership is that, Yes, I'm I'm dynamic, I'm involved, and I'm I'm ready and willing, and that often leads to me overextending myself. But I also put in a tremendous emphasis on empowering other leadership. Yeah, and especially empowering leadership in our youth. Mm. We've got to get these kids involved in their community and get them excited about helping out and pitching in because that's what a creates generational change and b gets kids to stay here in Lake Charles to or you know maybe they go away to college and then they come back which i think is the secret sauce ah. is these people that go away and then they come back yeah well, and they you bring said it even ideas. with yourself i mean oh, yeah. you went away something happens you come right, back right right yeah. but we've got to empower other people because you if, when you put all that stress on just a few dynamic leaders it's not a sustainable way to move forward yeah. so so and this is a call out i mean if there are other leaders that are listening to this or you, you find yourself in that position try i mean just google it just google how to empower leadership yeah you know and work on you know getting those people around you to 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 also kind of buy into that vision and 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 pitch in and it's going to take a lot of the stress off of your shoulders and it's it's going to create a sustainable model for change it's interesting everything you just said reminds me of a book i read like 20 years ago called a higher standard of leadership and mm -hmm. it was a, it was using uh the gandhian model mm -hmm. um it wasn't by gandhi but it was some people who had analyzed his leadership style and, and a lot of what you just said like yeah. falls right into that it's you have to it's got to be built on the younger generation. You yeah. have to empower them and you have to show them where they can serve because people do, people will show up to help, mm -hmm. um, but you have to give them the opportunity to do it. Right. And they need to know. I find that in looking at my own children and especially my son, I see that desire. You know, yeah. he's, he doesn't know what to do yet, but when yeah. he, but he has that feeling and that sense. And I go, you know, if you, if you don't let the, the system of just fitting into the world and just right. kind of going about your business till your grave uh, subdue you. Right. You can really get out there and use that and serve right. people. And that's, you know, I see that a lot in kids where they, they do have that passion, but they're still lost about it. Sure. And right. that's that's our role as leaders and as brothers and as godsons or godfathers and yeah. fathers and grandfathers is to help those kids find that path to service. Yeah. Sometimes it's through scouting. Sometimes it's through church. Sometimes it's whatever. But But putting that emphasis on service. And a lot of times that means we've got to serve ourselves. You know, like show them like this is this is the example. Yeah. You know, and, and I don't I don't see enough of that. And that's another another call to action that I want to put out on the show is like get involved and show your kids what service is. Yeah. Because that's going to help them find that path. I think you're right. I'm guilty of that. Just as guilty as anybody else of internalizing and having lots of good thoughts about things, yeah. but not actually letting them manifest into right. a thing. Right. And as I've gotten older, I mean, I, I regret yeah. not, but now I, I finally, I guess, and it is my children who yeah. inspire me to do it, to go, right. Hey, this is something that we should talk about one mm -hmm. and then find a way we can serve yeah. too, you know, because 
that's going to change it for him. Yeah. You know, I mean, my, my my father and mother weren't big community activists or anything, but I do remember them serving people yeah. and, and caring about people who needed help. And right. they, they were always willing to extend a, a hand to right. someone. So, you know, those are, are yeah, one-on-one basis uh, stories like that, but yeah. just in a, in a broader sense of changing their area. Yeah. yeah. But you're right, though. I mean... And again, a conversation I had last night on this show was that we—you're on the front line here. There are a—it's a kaleidoscope of problems. Yeah, I mean, that it, we're it's facing. the worst of the worst. What do you? I had wrote this down just in looking at yeah. uh, at everything you were involved in and the mm-hmm. places I've seen you kind of pop up. I was like, okay, you've already said that you—you're out there pretty far. Yeah. So, drawing that back in, mm-hmm. what are some of the things that you think are just critical? in our area that if these and again i don't know what that number is three sure. things five things that you go hey if these things begin to change yeah we're gonna see the kind of change that needs to take place the difference oh man and okay. i mean that's a hard question i was <laughs> yeah. like as i wrote it i was like why where would i even start with that and yeah you pick one <laughs> yeah uh, i think that we definitely need to start having a, a realistic conversation about urban sprawl okay i think we're overbuilding uh, I, and and we we know this from other communities like our our sister city down the road Lafayette, mm-hmm. where when we overbuild as a result of growth instead and we build out instead of up, mm. then we build infrastructure that once that bubble pops, once we lose these construction jobs, and we will lose the construction jobs. Don't let anybody tell you different. Right. Uh, the, all that infrastructure that we've built to accommodate them, we've got to pay to maintain it with our tax base. And we won't have the tax base. So what does that mean? Our taxes are going to go up, and I mean that's going to that's going to that's going to kill us. I mean that's going to hurt the community so hard. I mean we we're already overtaxed. I mean yeah. you, you look at any of the any of the bond measures that try to get passed for you know it's something as cool as a, a hurricane music. Right, people don't want it. They're like, shut nope. down. Yeah, no right. more taxes. We don't want to raise taxes because I mean we look at the highest sales tax in the nation. You know. Yeah. So we've got to we've got to stop. We've got to take a hard look at responsible land use. We've got to take a hard look at urban sprawl. We've got to take a look at, at how we want to design our our city to be sustainable for the future. Yeah. And I think a lot of the problems in in our our community development throughout the region not just in Lake Charles or Sulphur, uh, has been that, that people are looking at, they're looking five years down the road. They're looking 10 years down the road. They're not looking 30 to 50 years down the road. Right. And a lot of the problems that we see now are happening because of decisions that were made 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, We've got to retrofit our communities to, to be better instead of being able to build it to be better. And, and we've got to you know, solve problems that create that were created a long time ago before we can, you know, create solutions right. to the ones that already exist. Yeah, not even new ones. Yeah, you know, right. you're talking about uh, this is big. I mean, that's a big issue just mm-hmm. as a creature. Mm-hmm. Okay, I mean, we don't. You know, you look at Native American mm-hmm. philosophy or the way they lived. I mean, the whole nine generation yeah. idea that right. you, you don't do anything that's going to hurt nine generations down the road. Right. That's not the way we think. No. I mean, no. at all. It's very in in the moment, immediate. Yeah. I mean, I see it. I look around, even just where I live. I live right. out in Carlos. And just in the last couple of years, the things that changed that really hurt my heart yeah. are um, dead properties. Right. You know, like Light. 
Sure. Like, yeah. um, example, and it's small, but it's the kind of thinking that, that really disturbs me and I would love to see change is mm. there was uh, just a corner lot that had some beautiful oak trees on yeah. there. And it had been there for since I was a kid. But yeah. these big, old-growth oak trees, um, within months, those are cut down, gone. Right. Um, concrete's poured, and a Circle K that was on one right. side of the street is now on the other side of the street. And there's just a dead, gray yeah. piece of property. It's just real estate to be consumed. Yeah. And I thought, you know, there was there's no consideration for leaving green space. Mm-hmm. There's, it's just like, hey, this is empty. Let's plow right. it down. What can we put here? And that could all be solved with one simple policy about responsible land use that dictates that they have to consider that green space. Yeah. But, you know, and that's that's a call that I, that I want to put out there to these policymakers and elected officials that might be listening here is that you're going to have to make some tough decisions and decisions that are not popular. Sure. But they're, but they're the right ones for future generations. Yeah. And don't be afraid to do that. That's what you've been elected to do. That's what leadership is. Bold leadership is is making the decisions that are unpopular but that need to happen anyway. And so why aren't they? I mean, it's really why why are they afraid? I mean, what's the answer? I mean, they want to get reelected. Right. You know? Uh, and and it, so I think if we had more politicians that put more of an emphasis on on leading and on governing and less on what's going to happen in the next election cycle and staying, you know, sustainably in, in, in their, their position. Yeah. We'd be better off as a community. I think you're right. I mean, cause we, we live in a sort of look over here, don't look over here, mm-hmm. uh, influx of information, you right, know? And right. so, yeah, it's easy to get distracted right. about things that really don't matter right. when there's some serious, uh, things going on like sort of somebody said this on a podcast the other day and i love that he said you know it's like a moss that's just in a box and you just kind of close the box and then you don't ever look over there yeah and then you open it up a year later and the thing is just sprawled and right. growing all over that's that's a, right. how things like this are happening right and, sort of, and we've got this this you know chronic disease issue we spend more money on healthcare than anything else i mean that's it, if we could get some of that money back into our economy we'd be so much better off and a lot of that stems from the fact that you got to drive everywhere sure you know if we're if we're designing our community if we, and that's why i i put a lot of emphasis on downtowns on local business on you know building a core around your city that main street model that our grandparents used to have yeah people will walk just just a simple walk from the parking lot to the restaurant or from you know the bus to the restaurant or whatever has tremendous impact when we're talking about cancer and high blood pressure and heart disease sure we could save so many lives just by designing our city differently that's just one of the things that happens when we start talking about responsible land use in a yeah. way that that reigns in that sprawl yeah i do fear that though for our area i mean i see it just everywhere i mean oh, yeah. even articles that are out there one that came out a couple of years ago was uh sort of like a a warning article mm-hmm. out of uh, the Katy area in mm-hmm. Houston. They were like, you know, just a warning to any of these areas like Southwest Louisiana that are about to experience these big yeah. um, petrochem booms and mm-hmm. construction booms. Be careful. Yeah. Because now, like you said, the right. construction jobs have left and we're left with a lot of flooding, right. a lot of drainage problems, a lot of uh, the, the water has nowhere to go. Just right. that alone is a huge issue. Right. And I was like, man, we're facing almost the identical thing here. Yep. It's, it looks like, and it doesn't look like there are any checks and balances in place. Right. So now we're talking about the, I, you asked me for, for three to five points. <laughs> yeah, so let's, yeah. talk about, let's talk about bullet point number two. Yeah. You hit it on the head. We've got to diversify our economy. We are, we are too dependent on oil, natural gas, and, and petrochem. And, you know, all it takes is a fluctuation in a commodity or, you know, what the, that project gets complete or it doesn't get greenlit or whatever. And then the rest of us suffer. 
And we've got to start talking about creating other avenues. We've got to start looking at tech. We've got to start looking at how do we attract these other industries, you know, without an ITEP exemption, right? Right, right, right. And the way to do that is, this is my model of, of attracting industry to an area, is build a community that attracts industry. Instead of quality of life, right? Exactly. Yeah. Instead of attracting the industry and then building the community around it, let's build a city that that industries want to come to. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Know? Okay. And, and so we've got to diversify our economy. We've got to start incentivizing local business over big business. Mm. You know, but we know. I mean, there's statistic after statistic that say that local businesses put more money back into the local economy than than a Chili's does or whatever. Right. You know, and we've got to we've got to make it easier for people who own a local business to operate. I mean, you own a local business. I'm sure, sure you, you know. Well, all, we yeah, basically, all yeah, too well. it's it's very difficult. It's extremely yeah. difficult, and it's extremely difficult to start one up. You know, not everybody can just start up uh, start up a business, and we we, we see this in in especially in uh, like North Lake Charles. I have some of the best lunches in Lake Charles are being served out of people's houses. And they're, I mean, it's like an underground restaurant. Interesting. But they don't have the resources or the money or the capital or whatever, the, yeah. the, the legal, you know, to, to start that as a, as, a, as a brick and mortar business. Right. But they still want the money. You know, they still, they've recognized the need for the community to have that local business. So we've got to find ways to make it easier for local businesses to operate, incentivize them, give them the tax breaks. Yeah, no, you're you're right. I mean, that's that's why that's such a sore spot. I mean, for mm-hmm. a lot of people, what what was going on with the LNG? You know, mm-hmm. that that just blew up, and boy, it was just right. negative, negative, negative. Right. And I thought, boy, that's a media storm for them because it's not. Uh, it's true. Yeah, I mean, it really is true. Yeah, that it's harder on the smaller local people to make it. Right. Really, and to, and to provide a a quality service, it's right. not that the skill isn't there, the talent isn't there. Yeah. But you just don't get those breaks. And you know, I I. I came out very publicly against that ITEP exemption, yeah, uh, and I caught a lot of flack for it. Did you? I did, and and I, maybe rightfully so, but I don't think I, I definitely recognize that this is a part of our economy, and we've got to keep it. We've got to foster it. We've got to keep it there. Otherwise, you know, we can't just diversify our economy away from it. We've got sure, to, we, right? You can't we, just cold we, target right. pull a band. Right. We've got to nurture it, but there, I don't think there's any excuse for any of these industries to be getting a hundred percent tax exemption for yeah. for anything. Yeah, you know, I I don't like the idea of of getting immediate sales tax increase at the at the detriment of getting a long term, uh, you know, tax tax benefit. Yeah, and so, I mean, you know, there's you know, people who they're right. going to say it just doesn't right. serve them. How right. they they're not going that's going to cause a lot of people right. to be really upset. And I'm not against an ITEP uh, exemption, right? Like I I think that we do need to incentivize these businesses to come here and stay here, even though we've got the infrastructure to to incentivize them anyway. But I don't think that anybody should get, and the governor's office has already mandated you can no longer give 100% exemption. It's it's capped at 80, but even 80 is still quite high. Right. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. No, I I don't know what would make a difference though to help small to encourage small businesses and people to try new ideas. Right. You know? Well, we, there are these these uh, these things called opportunity zones uh, where you can you can create you know like little geographic zones. You pass an ordinance and and it says like this is an opportunity zone for for local business. So you, you know we want you to build your local business here we're going to provide you with resources to do it you're going to get tax breaks you're going to get i see yeah and and we've also got our our seed center in lake charles seed center could be an incredible anchor we've just got to utilize it more sure we've got to put it out there in the community we've got to empower the seed center and give them more resources so that they can be that incubator and we like really really kick it hard and we've got to build more business incubators we we need it we need a business incubator in north lake charles we need a business incubator in sulfur we need to be able to incentivize businesses in these places that that need local business business. Yeah. And then on the other side of that is we as consumers 
need to support the local businesses that are already here because that sends a powerful message to other people that are thinking about starting a local business or maybe even you know regionally that want to bring their business to to us business can do well here yeah you know, these other guys are doing well here because we as the people the consumers are spending our money locally sure you know, we're going to the villa we're not going to chili's you know we're doing we're you know we're, we're going to pops and rockets instead of right. robins you know it's interesting because you know think about what you hear though i'm, I'm laughing because i i think about what i hear in in the past here when someone goes we're getting a chilies right or we're getting a, a whatever brand right and i think that there's something about that that uh, validates your worth, yeah. Almost that yeah. oh, a big brand wants to be here, so yeah. we're 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 making it. We're right. okay. And I don't. What you're describing is uh, the opposite, really. We're not when because, for instance, like when I, I brought up going to Colorado, mm-hmm. uh, I didn't see any where we were at. There wasn't a single big brand. Yeah, loved it. Yeah, where you in know? Colorado were you? Uh, Winter Park. Okay, cool. Um, the whole uh, Estes. Yeah, moment in Estes Park too. I went there too. But there was big brands in Estes, yeah. but Winter Park was, I guess, a little more isolated. Right. Um, and it was all local restaurants, yeah. and I loved it because it was like you, you would ask, you'd go to a local jewelry shop, mm-hmm. and you go, "Hey, where's a great place to eat?" And they would recommend it, and it would be another local place. And right. It was just local hopping. Yeah. The whole so, thing, all local. My, uh, I, I was in Leadville, Colorado, okay. in August. Uh, which is up there kind of by Breckenridge and all that. And it's, it's the highest incorporated town in America. Wow. And they were traditionally uh, a mining town. Ah. Uh, and this was in the early eighties. I want to say they were this mining town with it. Like their entire economy was based on, on these mines uh-huh. and overnight the mines Dawn. closed everybody. They had the highest unemployment rate in the nation Wow. overnight. And what they did, you know, this this guy who I actually got to sit down with and talk to, and is just this incredible like cowboy. He said, "I'm, you know, I'm going to save the town." And like he was just a miner, right? Like never ran for local office, never did anything. He's like, "I'm going to save the town, and I'm going to do it by using what we've already got here, the mountains." So he created this incredible race series called the Leadville. It's the Leadville Race Series, uh-huh. um, and it's like a mountain bike racing, trail running, you know, using the natural resources sure. to get people to come there. And then they also built these incentives to build local businesses and empower local businesses. And then passed ordinances saying that you cannot start a business unless it's local. Oh wow! And so now they own. They have this incredible main street. They've got the, all these local businesses, and they have hundreds of thousands of people visit them every year just to come out and spend time in the mountains and spend money in the town and, and drink their local beers. And, and it's a town that's like less than 10,000 people. That's incredible. Yeah. And, and, and he, I mean, it's, it's just this incredible story. We, we could be a story like that. Sure. Like we, I mean, we've got, really. we've got towns here that could do that. You're right. That's the thing that I find. And especially in doing a show like this, uh, it's waking me up to how many talented and wonderful people there are who really have a lot of passion about, yeah. Uh, changing things yeah. and just whatever it is they may be doing, whether they're an artist, a musician, right. or just someone who's organizing events. Um, I was talking to Charlotte Blake. I mean, a lot of what I love she Charlotte Blake. Well, yeah, a lot of what she talked about is yeah. very similar. You know, building neighborhoods, right? You know, and things that are going to last, and the the sense of community in, right. in just a street, right? You know, and I, I thought, you know, that's just so sense uh, of place. Yeah, sense of place. Yeah a feeling of home mm-hmm. uh when you have that feeling you care more mm-hmm. you know when you think it's temporary if something changes right you know in your mind you're like well i mean and i don't know where that comes from if it's just a culture of waste but 
I was like, well, I'm going to be leaving here anyway. Right. You know, yeah, it's kind of like what we said about sports and paradise. Yeah. Come here, utilize our resources and whatever you do here while you're here, just don't worry about that and take yeah. off. Yeah. And we, we see that in our kids too, right? Like, okay, I'm just going to go to LSU. And then, you know, after that, I'm, I'm moving to New York or whatever. Yeah, and right. We see this brain drain where we don't have we don't have the educated population that we need to to do a lot of the things that we're talking about because these kids are leaving they don't have the sense of place they don't have this sense of belonging we're slowly building that i had i had some really cool conversations with some kids that are in uh, law school at tulane just recently and they want to come back now because they really they see these exciting things that are happening and like you said there's you you know you see all these people that are involved and they've got this similar mindset we've got all this, this great arts community and everything i don't know if we've ever had an opportunity like that right you know we talk a lot about this like Oh, it's an unprecedented time in Southwest Louisiana because we've got this growth because of the industries. I think it's an unprecedented time to be here because we've got this this crazy hive mind of of progressive, creative people that are moving things forward. Sure. And I have trouble explaining that to my friends who have moved out of town that now live in bigger cities. My sister lives in Seattle. Yeah. You know, and she hasn't. She visits maybe once or twice a year, and when she comes back, she sees it, and she, and she's like, "What is happening?" And I'm like, I, I don't know how to tell you. Like, I don't know why these people are coming. And I, I just hit on it the other day. It's because we're creating that sense of place and they're coming back. Yeah. You know? Yeah. When I hear, I recently was in an online conversation. I don't get into, I, I try to avoid those, honestly. Oh, never read the comments. Yeah. 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 I try not to. But I this one was too. particular, though, because it was like sort of a list of grievances with the area. Yeah. And um, and I'm not going to make, I'm not really saying this to, to blast the people who made the post. No. I thought it was interesting because as when I read them, mm-hmm. Uh, I try to avoid just complaining for the sake of it without a solution. Yeah. But this was a a list of 20 or so grievances. And when I read them, I went, hmm. Well, I mean, yeah, they're, yeah, I, they're right. They're, right. They maybe weren't written in a, right. a loving way. Right. But I've had thoughts like this. And yeah. so I got to thinking about it. And I thought, you know, how does this change, though? Do you just, again, treat treat this area as a piece of property that's just defunct, the whole yeah. area, and just go, well, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm leaving. Right. You know, or just, or, do you or, change or, or just use it as a, as a place to build industry. And, yeah. and this is just where we've got trailers where people work to work the industry to make plastic for the rest of the nation. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not ready for that. I don't, I'm not going to give up on us for that. Like we right. can, we have been, and we will be so much more than that. And I think like you, you said there, it's a list of grievances and they're not all wrong. We, we got to stop sweeping stuff under the rug. We've got to be honest with ourselves about what is wrong with this community. Sure. You know, and, and we've got to hold our elected officials accountable to those problems and let them know like, Hey, this is something I want solved. Yeah. This is the type of community that I want to live in. This is how I want to define our, our Southwest Louisiana, yeah. our Southwest Louisiana. It's interesting, man. I'm, I'm kind of smiling over here because yeah. I, I, I saw we, your face light up. <laughs> yeah. Something you said, and I can't recall, I can't exactly tell you, but I got this picture. My, my favorite movie uh, always has been ever since I saw it. And to this day is back mm. to the future. Oh yeah. yeah. And um, we don't so, need roads. Oh man. dude. Yeah. And so you get back to the future too. And yeah. the, what, what I'm thinking about is when he, you know, they come back in time and it, mm-hmm. like, things are all jacked up. It's like Biff, right. Biff world. You right. Know? Right. And so I, feel like sometimes in life that's kind of what you have in front of you right you've got if we don't do something we're going to live in biff's version of 1980 you know five or whatever and uh but you in the movie i love when you do get to see the differences of how things could be versus how they are and you get these three different views of this one particular place and time i don't know i'm just smiling because it makes me think uh, it gives me like a little bit of hope to think that we don't have to have that yeah and it's just having conversations and then 
teaching people to do right. something different, even at that uh, individual level. Yeah. I know sometimes for me, again, it feels like it's not doing anything, but if you, especially if you have a little impact on your kids. Mm-hmm. Or like you said, with scouts, you're around scouts or you're around a group mentoring. Yeah. That's huge. I mean, I actually wish I'd have had better mentors when I was a kid. It's not too late. Yeah. Find a mentor now. Yeah. Well, that's true. Yeah. But when I was a kid, I, I think you back on Dan, it. Though. Dan's a pretty good solid mentor. Yeah. I did have good friends. Yeah. I, I'm, and sometimes I, that's enough. Yeah. You know? like I some, was lucky. Yeah. I had moral friends. I mean. Right. Moral, still fun people. Sometimes right. you say moral and people think, oh, that sounds right. boring. But no, really, I I was lucky in the sense that the people I surrounded myself with or were just lucky and I yeah. say surround, I surrounded myself that I happened to be surrounded yeah. with were just good guys. So now, like, imagine imagine you're a kid like you were without a mentor, right? Yeah. Imagine your your kid's friend yeah. is a kid without a mentor because I'm sure they do have friends. Sure, there. yeah. But now, so you as a parent, not only are you empowering your kids, giving them a path to service, showing them what leadership is and, and being an example for them, you're teaching your kid to be an example for that kid that doesn't have a mentor. Right you're creating on. community around a kid that maybe didn't have it before. Mm. That's why it's so important to empower that sustainable leadership and just get that next generation involved. Yeah. Then. Totally, man. So. What's the third? Uh, if you had oh, a, man. Okay. We're, we're all over the place, but I mean, it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so number three, let's start talking about transportation. Transportation. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we've got to start. We've got to start reinvesting in public transportation. Uh, that's that's a model of community development that we had before. Adley Cormier is one of my favorite people in Southwest Louisiana. He's like our resident historian. Right. He knows everything about everything. And some of the my the most fascinating conversations I have with him are about the old streetcar lines yeah. that used to run and, and what that meant for the community and how just that transportation investment grew the community from like a logging community into this diversified economy that had all this all this cool stuff and when they ripped up the the streetcar lines to make room for roads for cars Mm -hmm. that had a tremendous impact on the design of the community and the health of the community and the the trajectory that we went on sure okay so if we could reinvest in public transportation take a few cars off of the off the road uh we could do other things with the road that then do a lot of the other things we're talking about that yeah. build sense of place and build community. You know, we were doing a project um, with the Alliance mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. And well, maybe it wasn't even a couple of years ago, but uh, you may have heard of this, but they're talking about uh, creating the different zones, like the SOMAC zone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Ryan Street uh, yeah. street development. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I was interested in that because yeah. it sort of, it sounds a lot like what you're talking about, like trying to rethink. Yeah. Um, the way we're traveling along that corridor. Right. Yeah. The, uh, and just to tell your listeners what you're talking about, they were talking about branding sections of Ryan street as sections of the town. So I think it was downtown. Yeah. Midtown. Midtown. SOMAC, which is South of Magnese. Right. Um, you know, and it, uh, we have a lot of that, like just that, that verbiage in our, in That's our, right. in our lexicon now, like we just need to put a, like, hey, where do you live? Oh, I live downtown. Where do yeah. you live? Oh, I live, I live university. Yeah, you know? yeah, creating that sense of place, a sense right. of home, a sense of right. ownership. Yeah, so just build on that. Yeah, I love the idea of that. I thought, you know, I can see yeah. that, you know, uh, that feeling. Um, and there are things that are happening like that, but in little smaller mm-hmm. pockets. You know, I don't think it's maybe as yeah. uh, well-defined as yeah. um, it can be, but eventually right. I do see that happening. So uh, we have got to start talking seriously about disaster resilience. 
Hmm. We're on the Gulf Coast. We're on the front line <laughs> of climate change. We're on the front line of, of hurricane season. You know, just because we haven't had a hurricane in 10 years doesn't mean that we're not going to get one. And if we had gotten hit with Harvey the way that we thought we were, I think we would have been, I think we would have been in a lot of trouble. Yeah. We've got yeah. to start preparing ourselves for that eventuality. And we've got to start building our city in a way that, that prepares us for that and preparing our population for it and having serious conversations about population migration. Sure. I mean, people are going to start moving from the South to the North as the, as the ocean rises for, yeah. for whatever reason, I'm not going to get into why. No, right. But you but can look at Miami and see what's happening. You can look at I Cameron. Mean, right. No, yeah, I mean, you're right. Look, look yeah. at this. I mean, we, we see yeah. it like the saltwater intrusion is, I mean, it's, it's, it's a big deal. Yeah. And we've got to start having serious conversations about that. And we've got to start, we've got to start preparing ourselves for, for the worst. Mm. You know, I, I tell my, my wife all the time, like, let's prepare for the worst, but hope for the best. Mm. You know, I hope we don't get a hurricane, but if we do get one, I don't want us scrambling around. I don't want us, I don't want to have another hurricane Rita. You know, I don't want kids that were, that are going to, into McNeese learning about service by having to rebuild their You just hit what I was thinking, man. That's the the way i feel like it has been is mm-hmm. we use a disaster to to make a change mm-hmm. instead of making the change ahead of time i mean right. it, it happened with rita i mean we right. saw it and katrina or whatever we go oh well the disaster happened this is an opportunity yeah and that's a good i mean it's good to use sure. an oppor- use the opportunity but sure. don't let that be the right. big hub for opportunity every single time that right. these are our big chances right. you know like that turning point that turned me that, that turned me on to service. I don't want that to be the turning point for that next generation. Right. You know, I, I want us to just be, I want us to be strong. Oh yeah. I mean, I, that's funny, but I thought about this even after nine 11, the same exact thing mm-hmm. was okay. Nine 11, terrible tragedy. Uh, you see a completely different sensibility about security and law mm-hmm. enforcement, big influx of equipment upgrades and things like right. that. Well, now you've seen that pour out into the communities with all this right. excess gear. So you have like almost like a militarization of style society, of the yeah. law of society. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, so this was the big change that right. came out of that. And then it trickled out. And I'm, I'm not so sure that it was because it came from one big tragedy instead yeah. of being thought about ahead of time. Yeah. You know, uh, you see things change rapidly and not necessarily for the best. Yeah. Yeah. But but I, we've you know we've got to start taking because we're not just talking about hurricanes. We yeah. can have we can have a we, and we have in the last few years we can have an afternoon downpour that completely inundates the city. Right, that blows my mind. Yeah, and and then you I mean we've some of the biggest flooding events in the state have just happened like overnight. Yeah, you know and and we've we've got to start preparing for stuff like that. Sure, things that you can't predict. Yeah, you know those those five hundred year floods are now happening every five years. Right, or or every hundred years. You know. Well, yeah. So so we've got to we've got to start we've got to start preparing for that. Otherwise, we're just going to be wet. Well, I mean, come <laughs> on. I mean, I can tell you just in my own property. I mean, since we've lived there, we lived there 10, 12 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, I used to, when it would rain like it, it does now, mm-hmm. uh, I didn't go stand outside with a tape measure right. at the edge of my you know slab right. going, how, how many inches do I have left? Right. I didn't do that 10 years ago. Right. I didn't do it five years ago. Yeah. Now I do it on yeah. the reg, you know, and yeah. so that's a difference, and that's a problem. My good friend Jared Chandler, who I think is is probably one of the coolest and most most involved and just powerful people in the the city right now. He's a firefighter, but he's he cares so deeply about our community. He's also the president of the Seven Slot Society. The Jeep, oh yeah, the, the Jeep, Jeep Club. Club. Yeah. yeah, 
every time it rains now, they like assemble at a high ground place with their Jeeps that have snorkels and they'll go and just rescue motorists. Wow, man. That shouldn't have to exist. (laughs) They shouldn't have to do that. They should be, you know, the Jeep club's focus should be going out and like going off-roading and stuff on the weekend, right? Like it shouldn't be, you know, disaster preparedness. And so that's, we've got to start, we got to start doing that. Oh yeah, it really hit me a couple of years ago, a few years ago, I was in Lake Charles making a delivery to a client on a regular day Mm -hmm. and I was on Common Street and, uh, yeah, I, I called my wife. I said, "Hey, I'm I'm gonna be here a little bit because uh, I'm stuck, you right. know, just because of a rain." Right, kind of blew my mind. Yeah, and when you look at uh, like university, the university areas where I used to live before we moved downtown, and every time it would rain because they're building all these developments south of there, and so it, I mean, it just screwed the drainage all up. And I think they've got it fixed now. I think that Nick Nick Hunter, the mayor in Lake Charles, has done a tremendous job in terms of improving the drainage in the, in the short time that he's been in office. Yeah, which gives me a lot of a lot of hope. Uh, you know, it's it's a good step in the right direction. There's still there's pr- progress to be made. Um, but yeah, like that that little stretch from Ryan Street on University all the way to Country Club, mm-hmm. it's just cars in the median, just because you cannot drive there. And sure. I mean, it, it's and then that jacks the median up. You know, you drive a big truck into the, a muddy grass, you know, the median. So then for weeks after that, the street looks like crap. Sure. And then you're impacting sense of place again. There you it's, go. You know, it's right. This, this and people start having effect. that question. Maybe I should leave. Maybe yeah. I should get out of here. Oh, people do. People definitely leave. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. people are jumping ship like crazy. But like now, you know, the bridge stuff is happening. Oh, sure. Like, well, I mean, look, we're in sulfur. I mean, come on. Yeah. I uh, do. I'd say 90 percent of what I do is in Lake Charles. Mm-hmm. I'm having to rethink every meeting. Yeah. You know, every single little thing I used to yeah. do is not just to hop over the bridge right. anymore. It's a, it's an ordeal. Which I think is kind of cool. I, I like the idea of people rethinking transportation, rethinking that drive, and maybe using some some tech ability or moving off. You I know, told like that's the what we're doing. Move their office over here. Yeah. But like utilize some of these like oh video no, conferencing yeah, and all right? that. I mean, I don't need. To, I, I totally agree. We're trying to get. It's hard though. Yeah. Just that one challenge, trying to get our collection of clients mm-hmm. to hook up for a video call. Yeah. Um. We live in That's a really harder old than school. I thought it was going to be. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, yeah. like just because I can FaceTime with my dog doesn't mean that I can FaceTime yeah. with my boss. It is interesting. Yeah. The yeah. and there's a feeling I have several that just don't feel right about having. They just don't feel like they're in the yeah. getting the same result. I don't know. I'm I'm not like that, but I do yeah. get that. I don't. It's an older way of thinking. Older Even our mentality, yeah. our proofing system we upgraded right. about three years ago to a fully digital. Right. So we're not driving printed proofs to places. Right. That was a bit of kicking yeah. and screaming. So and, you're and right. Maybe maybe, like a, maybe this bridge is is an opportunity for people to rethink some things. Like yeah, that, I hope you know, so. And, it's and again there you go. Stuff, yeah. Hey, we have a problem. Let's uh, maybe this yeah. is again opportunity. We right. should have maybe done it before, but we're right. doing it now. Well, I want to move you into the fishbowl. Cool. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know if you've listened to the show, but we have this thing called Fishing for Goodies. And what it is, okay. is it's full of questions that past guests have left in there. Oh, my gosh. So uh, I I can tell you I've read some of them. Some of them are I have not read. So okay. we do three. All right. Can people change is what I just oh, Okay. <laughs> really? Can people really change? Yeah. 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 I know that they can. I've seen them. I've seen them do it. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is an easy question. Yeah, it is. I kinda, I kinda want a harder one. <laughs> but <laughs> no, yeah, I agree yeah, too. I, I think they can change. I, I think that I think that the the path to change in people and in communities is different than what we what we have thought it was. Mm. Um I think that it's it's a lot more collective than than individual and it spawns from the environment around someone. You know, if you if you can change 
where someone is and you can change what's around them, mm-hmm. that person's mentality will change, then they will change and ultimately yeah. further that. Further no, that I fully believe right. that, man. Yeah. I fully am with you. Yeah. I think that, look, you look around the world and that's all you see. Right. Big impacts, big change. And it, it usually means somebody yeah. changed. And sometimes it's just little, but sometimes yeah. And it's, it goes back to what I said we focus on at work, and that's policy, systems, and environmental change because that's how we know we can make those individual interventions that, that really can save people's lives. Yeah. Right on, man. Yeah. All right. Well, can easy, I take another one? Yeah, yeah, go for right. it. You get, right. you get three. So. All right. And I hope, hope somebody left me something. Hope Charlotte left me something, something hard. <laughs> All right. Morality, learned, inherited, or both? Ooh. Hmm. Hmm. Learned. 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 Yeah. I, I think that. And, you know, it's like that the Lord of the Flies thing, right? Right on, yeah. yeah. Like, if if people left without without direction or without leadership, like, devolve into a very primal state that is, yeah. that is immoral. Uh, so I definitely think that you've got to learn morality. And that's, uh, again, let's say it again. Yeah. You know, it falls on our shoulders as as leaders and as fathers and as brothers and sisters to, to lead that example of morality for, for the next generation and just be good people. It's interesting that you brought up Lord of the Flies because I think about one particular scene and I've read the book, but in the movie there was a scene that really hit me. Mm-hmm. I, I still to this day think about it. It's when uh, at the end, mm-hmm. when the soldiers arrive, the little boys begin to cry. Right. And it t- it touches me because, but there's something in that I've, I've always just wondered. I thought, you know, again, it goes back to what you said, morality's learned. Yeah. At that moment, what's happening to those boys that they begin to cry? Yeah. Did is it because they really had learned their morality? Right. And was that their morality coming back? Mm-hmm. Was it just like this almost like avalanche of that coming back? Yeah. Like, oh, we we shucked our morality. We threw it away and right. now it, it it never really was gone, right. I guess is what I guess I'm getting at. Yeah. Is there like a part of them that still retained it? Yeah. And it just had built a, a hardness around it. So themselves. you're saying maybe it is inherited and it's just we just lose it if we don't have that that right direction. I wonder. I do I'm not gonna say I'm not saying you're wrong. I do think yeah. that it's inherited. I think it's learned, but I do th- I always wonder if there isn't I, I part of me believes that we have something. Yeah something in us and i yeah. don't know what it is but there's like a center that isn't all trashed up yeah you know a real original pristine place let me spin this let me spin this back and ask you a question do you think that in that like okay so if morality is inherited and like everybody's got a good place are there people that inherently have a bad place i wonder about that too. is, is that i mean because i think we've all we've all seen evil in the world right yeah you know are the like are, are those people did they learn that evil yeah did they learn it right, yeah. right. Or, or, or did it come or, from somewhere right, right that's a good question that's actually really interesting because i i have somebody i listen to and i like what they said they can prove one thing be, they can prove that something else is going to happen because mm-hmm. they said they have to believe it because it's happened once already yeah and so what you're saying yeah when something just arises and it's it's inherently evil right. or painful right. or destructive and it's sort of like a original destructive force um yeah. yeah i mean did if if we can say that right. there's something good right there's some kind of counterbalance yeah. to that yeah i always ask myself like hmm. what what led that person to that yeah you know, was it yeah. i mean was it just know. tragedy or her sure. structure or their life or yeah. Was there a bad, the bad seed? Yeah, you know? you know, and my my colleagues in mental health will tell you that it's it's a lot of it is childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can believe that, yeah, sure. But but I don't know, you know. Well, there are stories. I mean, you'll you'll hear unapologetic mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question, man. That's something to really think about. Yeah. yeah. I, I listened to a podcast this week when I was, I, I drive a lot. I work statewide, so I'm in the car mm-hmm. a lot. And I listened to a podcast, uh, the Rich Roll podcast. Okay. And he had, I forget the guest's name, but they were talking about addiction this, uh-huh. this week. And that, you know, this, this guest is, his opinion is that a lot of addiction is not genetic. It's not environmental but it's, it's things that have happened to you. Mm. You know, these the people are addicted to heroin or they're addicted to food or they're mm-hmm. addicted to alcohol, you know, they're addicted to whatever because something happened to them in, in when they were children, they've got repressed something, you know, something yeah. like it, that it's, that all, not all addiction, but a lot of addiction is trauma-based. Uh-huh. I thought it was an interesting, yeah. interesting and that's nurture right there. I yeah. mean, that's what you're talking yeah. about. Interesting yeah. perspective. Yeah, I think it's probably a mix, I would say. And for yeah. my answer, I would say there's some kind of mixed bag. I think yeah. definitely nurture and learning is definitely a part of it. Mm-hmm. Because you can, uh, you know, some of my favorite stories are, uh, yeah, I used to read comics when I was a kid, but I always loved these uh, Elseworld stories yeah. where you take the story of Superman. Right. And, but his rocket crashes in, in Russia. Yeah, Russia Superman, or something. Red Sun. Yeah, Red Sun. Like right. One of my favorite there comics you go. of all time. Exactly. Well, yeah. there you go. That's exactly that point right there. It's like, right. oh, well, what happens when someone's nurtured completely? Completely different. different. Yeah. yeah. That's why I love that comic too. Yeah. Yeah. And I love it. Just for everybody listening, you should definitely pick it up. It's on an app called Hoopla where you can rent uh, digitally a comic comics, books, movies, anything that the Calcasieu Parish Library has. I'm a big fan of the library system. Like, push the library. Use your libraries. You can rent pots and pans at the library. Like, <laughs> I don't that's, think people really know no, that. No, they don't. They don't. And that's why, like, I want to, like, every chance that I get to, like, blast that out. Like, use your libraries, please. But they've got this app called Hoopla. Get uh, Superman Red Sun because it's not just what happens to Superman. It's what Wonder Woman becomes. It's yeah. what Batman becomes. His impact right? on and everybody. Batman becomes this, like, underground freedom fighter that's fighting communism. It is fascinating. Yeah, it's, it's interesting it. how relevant that story is to what we're talking about oh yeah i mean like how right you know you change right or become different right and what does that do to your circle of influence and what happened you know that one event superman just landing there impacted all that dc universe yeah how did that work you know that that ripple effect yeah. what happens when a symbol of hope yeah. that did exist is taken out of play right. and becomes a symbol of right. boy that's interesting man that I ripple effect does. is why everybody should think about everything that they do and say yeah. you know just just you know keep that in mind oh man we talked about two of my favorite things man comic books and back to the future i, love I didn't comic think that book. we were going to get to talk about that we got one more we got one, more question, one more question man yeah okay. yeah I, I don't know like what the time frame that you were looking i, I, at I mean i really wish goes where it goes we've been kind of fluent with that open with Ooh. Has your project, passion, or work changed you? Yeah. Well, that's a good one for you. Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, I think that the, I mean, in, in a number of different ways that we could sit here for two hours about and it could be its own podcast. Uh, I think the biggest way that my job has changed me is that I am now a stronger systemic leader. Hmm. Right? Okay. Uh, and, and I think that I am a more adaptive leader as a result like we get in public health you get punched in the mouth a lot really right yeah i mean okay. it's because it's public health is in louisiana is tough you know <laughs> well, it's probably not popular it's not <laughs> i mean yeah right? and that's why like you know it, it's a lot of the times when we brand ourselves like public health is kind of like the fine print, well dude i mean you know? think but, about it you tell people hey if we, we need to right. make this change and they say right. hey that change affects my bottom right. line right but we've also you know it, in public health uh Things have not gotten better in 40 years in Louisiana. They've only gotten worse. So having to think about problems in a way that marshals resources differently, that uses resources differently, that 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 
makes meeting structures more efficient you know this just having to adapt uh and create different systems around how you lead is definitely probably the biggest change uh that my work has had on me and that's a a direct shout out to uh one of my one of my colleagues in new orleans uh mac giancola he's the louisiana comprehensive cancer controller for the state okay uh he works with me on the louisiana healthy communities coalitions project um and just like one of the smartest guys around. I mean, just just this genius, and he's getting uh, a PhD right now. And a lot of what his focus on is is this emerging field of adaptive and systemic leadership. So I'm getting a lot of a lot of knowledge about that from him, and it's really really changing the way that I that I see things and do things and and lead. And with you saying those words, just adaptive and systemic, because you mm-hmm. know two of those those two things initially don't seem like they go together. No. The word adaptive right. and then systemic. Adaptive right. sounds like fluid and open and kind of flexible, and systemic. Yeah sounds very structured or yeah. rigid i think it's it's you know that we've got a lot of people that are natural leaders right now you can you can pick them out in a community any community right but being able to be a leader that can stand up get punched in the mouth change your tactics and still win mm. that's somebody that you want and that that is something that i'm, I'm really really learning a lot about right now i like that so, yeah i like that adaptive leadership Man, that's wonderful. I actually hadn't considered it from that perspective. I like that idea of a leader that's willing to stand up, get punched in the mouth, yeah. and then change tactics. Yeah, or not, yeah. or just take the punch. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes <laughs> does, that, does that happen to you? You just take the punch and Absolutely. say, "Absolutely." And, and that's, that goes back to something we were talking about earlier: is that sometimes you've got to make the tough calls, but it's the right one for the community. Mm. And that's, I mean, that's what ultimately, like, that's what a leader should be, and you should, you should be strong enough to do that. And this is that's a an empowerment to all the leaders that are listening to this. Just be strong. Get punched in the mouth. Just take it. You can take it. Now I have to ask you this, man. Yeah. I mean, do you have any aspirations politically? You know, I I hadn't until recently. Yeah. What yeah. what made what what sparked that? Uh I think I think just a conversation that I had with my godson, mm. honestly. Really? Yeah. And and you know, it was kind of we we were talking about the Avengers. Yeah. Yeah, right? And and we were talking about Captain America Civil War. Where one of my favorite films. Yeah, I love it. Uh and one of my favorite I mean Civil War the comic arc is is yeah. incredible as well. But and for those listening, the there's two sides of Civil War. Captain America thinks that the Avengers should be autonomous and they should be able to to solve the problems that they want to solve and go to the events that, you know, they they can impact and iron man wants them to sign this superhero registration act where the un then tells them where right. to go or whatever they become an agent of the government exactly basically. Yeah. exactly and 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 captain america's argument against that is that you know governments have agendas so you have to go like where the government agenda sure. is and uh I didn't, I, you know, I, I always thought I was on Team Cap. You know, I always thought that that was like where, you know, the Avengers should be autonomous or whatever. But then I, I'm talking to my godson and we're talking about, you know, why do governments have agendas? Mm-hmm. Why, why are there leaders in government that have these agendas that, that are, you know, adherent to special interests that, you know, aren't representing the majority of people. They're representing, you know, small, small groups of people that, that have a lot of influence. Mm-hmm. And it's because people don't step, the right people don't step up to the plate. Right, Captain America could be one of those guys. Mm, I see what you're saying, but he's content to not be because he's not stepping up to the plate, and therefore nothing changes. Right, I get what you're saying. Right. You know, changing something from the inside, right, uh, is infinitely more effective than just kind of attacking it from the outside. Exactly. I guess. So and, yeah, and I don't want to. I don't want to be that guy. 
No, I get that. You know, I, I don't want to be that guy that's too afraid to step up to the plate and change things from the inside. Well, sure, John. I mean, the system is in place. That that's not going to completely fall apart. Right. I mean, it'd be one thing if that were the case. Yeah. If everything were just chaos and the yeah. system didn't work, and then you had these sort of uh, outliers out there, ready and waiting, right. willing to serve. Right. But that's not the case. And I the mean, other the other side of this coin is that I think that, and I'm not going to call anybody out. You know, I'm, I'm not I'm not that guy. But there are there are areas of Southwest Louisiana. And, and regions and, and elected positions where I think that we are underserved mm. and, and we could be better served and better led. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm not one of these guys that's going to step up and run for the first, the first seat that opens up. I want to go where I'm going to make the most difference. Sure. I think that there are a lot of elected officials out there that are just like, okay, I'm going to run for this now. I'm going to run for this now. And then they, yeah. you know, stepping stones. To right. And that's, positions. that's sure. their, you know, it's a career for them. I, I don't, I don't want to be that. I want to, I want to know that I can make an impact here. This is how I'm going to do it. Let's put some strategic planning into it to figure out how that's going to work. Then let's run for it. So yeah, it's totally not something, it's not sense. something that's happening tomorrow, but, but yeah, I, I, I would to answer your question. Yes. I think I do have some political aspirations. Well, if you ever do decide to, and you find that position that's right for you, I think you're going to bring a lot to it. Thank you, man. I mean, you've just got a diversity of experience and knowledge and then the passion and, and honestly, just the, just the, just the awareness that you seem to have about yourself to say, Hey, I want to be a better leader Yeah, and I know I need to be, and here's some uh, different ways I can learn to do that. I mean, yeah. some people fall into leadership, right? you know, and falling is not always a great way to do things. And if you do fall into leadership, <laughs> you've got to be conscious that you've always got to make yourself better. That's what, like, as uh, you know, that, that adaptive model or whatever, it, it should be an, an evolution of that model too. Like you should always be pushing yourself to be better, learning new things, learning how to better serve, learning how to just be a better man, be a better woman, you know, be a better person. That's yeah. like, you've got to keep evolving. That's what, that's what it's all about, man. You know, I love you, that. You, you can't get, you can't get complacent and like, okay, you know, I've got this, so I'm good. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's you a can, lot that you can, can always be better. Oh, absolutely. Well, I believe one of the things I keep taped on my wall and I've carried it from job to job that I've had is uh, change is the law. Um, it's easy to say change is the law when bad things happen because then you can kind of just blow it off. But right. for me, when I read that, I believe it's force mm -hmm. and it's a good force. Change is something you can work with, you know, and right. you can insert yourself into changes happening inside of you. It's happening out in the world and you can be a part of that. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a, a negative thing. I, I Oh, I love to read Thich Nhat Hanh's work. You know, he was a Vietnamese Buddhist monk, mm -hmm. and he was very young when the Vietnam War was, you know, hot and heavy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he lived in exile almost his whole life. But his master had told him that. He said, you know, change is a good thing. Yeah. And the reason he said that is because eventually this war, because change is the law, mm -hmm. this war will end. Mm -hmm. You can insert yourself into the process of change and help that come about sooner. Right. You know, it, bad things do happen, but you can yeah. be a part of what's next. Yeah. You know? And change is, change is part of democracy, right? That's why we have election cycles. And when, when I, I studied democracy in Greece, uh, when I was 16 and, uh, the, the the original model was that like you know it's just a rotating community group right mm -hmm. like you didn't get elected like oh it's your turn to serve like get up there and that created change and that that's what the strength of the system was yeah that's why we have elections and if we aren't voting people out if we aren't changing that leadership and things stay the same we don't get that change and I think that we're weaker for it yeah 
yeah man thank you so much for taking the time to come over i know Dude, you're i know me. you're very busy but i mean it's it's been a treat for me to any, finally get to any meet excuse you. for me to come and visit sulfur i'm gonna do it I love yeah sulfur, yeah yeah well and then you get to go meet see tom again today too i do i have a meeting with tom this afternoon what are you guys talking about man brimstone museum right on man yeah yeah just trying to like what can we do to make that place better because it's such a cool place oh it if, is if you guys haven't visited the brimstone museum go check it out it really so cool. is a treasure. We're lucky yeah. to have that. And we're lo- honestly, I feel like lucky we're to lucky Tom. to have Tom. Yeah, that's oh, right. Yeah. I mean, Tom has made that place what it is. And yeah. just such a such a badass. Yeah, I feel I feel blessed. I mean, he and I, when he came on the show, mm-hmm. we, we've been personal friends for quite a while, but we don't get to see each other very much because we're both kind of busy. And, yeah. You know, I told him, I said, it is really a shame we're a minute and 45 seconds from each other and it takes right. a takes uh, we have to make a special date to you know yeah to do it but he is he's working hard he's trying to do some good things over there he's doing some good things yeah yeah thanks again man yeah thanks for having me man this has been a blast no dude i'm gonna we'll shoot this far and wide so hopefully uh some somebody will hear something that'll really i I hope so i hope we empower some people to be better i do too man i mean you have some good messages i think that uh especially young people they're shockingly i'm surprised there are a lot more high school age kids listening to this show Oh, cool. You know? Yeah, that really shocked me. Yeah, I love um, that. I've been hearing that, and I thought, wow, these are younger, you know, 16, 17-year-olds. And yeah. I think what it is, what I'm understanding is that they are enjoying hearing adults have these conversations. Oh, that's cool. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Well, hey, kids, if you're listening, go off to college, get a degree somewhere else, and then bring that secret sauce back. Learn some stuff from another community and then bring it back to Lake Charles. But come home. And I love you just